Welcome to the Corpora Podcast, where we sit down with leading professionals and thinkers to explore the intersection between startup law and technology and talk about the future of corporate legal. Corpora is your startup's legal dashboard, simple enough for founders and sophisticated enough for attorneys. We help early stage startups take care of their legal tasks from formation all the way to Series B by giving founders the, the tools to take care of the simple tasks themselves such as sending out an NDA or an offer letter, and we give attorneys the tools to take care of the complex stuff more efficiently, such as handling price rounds. Our first tool, the Smart Legal Drive, is already in private beta. It helps startups keep all their documents organized, accurate, and complete in one place, giving them a heads up in case they are missing something important. My name is Stepan Khazretian. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Corpora, and I'm pleased to announce our guest for today, an excellent corporate attorney and a longtime friend of mine, Haik Mamajanian. I'm going to read out Haik's bio because it's super impressive. Haik Mamajanian is a corporate venture capital and mergers and acquisitions partner at Ramon Law Los Angeles office. He focuses on strategic and transactional matters, acting both as a legal advisor and a strategic partner for his clients. Haik represents venture capital funds, founders, and enterprises, principally in technology and other related industries. Hike advises investors, early and late stage companies in various business matters as their external general counsel. He is also an attorney ambassador of Corpora. Hike, great to have you. Thank you. Great being here. And, you know, go Corpora, go Stepan, go team. Awesome. Awesome. Great to have you, Hike. Um, you've been practicing law, transactional law for over 10 years. Now, could you explain for our viewers today, what is transactional law? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I've been doing this for a while now. And um, the reason I got into this was because I was so fascinated with uh, tech and business and entrepreneurship as, as a whole. And I remember sitting at the library years ago and reading this book about law and economics, right? How you can use simple economic concepts to prepare to draft self-enforceable uh, agreements. And it was fascinating to me because it's the first time I realized how important the economics of the actual transaction is for uh, for uh, drafting a document that would be enforceable and would work well for both parties. And I think the key to transactional law is that you look at the facts surrounding the, the actual transaction, the deal itself. You try to understand the economics, try to understand the terms of it, the facts of it, and then try to help the parties to come together in a document where they address all the issues such as asymmetries of information, risk allocation, which is huge, right? You, you might think that uh, when you draft the contract, the risk disappears. It does not, right? It, you just allocate it between the parties and, and one way or the other. So I realized that you can use a contract to address all these different asymmetries and uh, problems and uh, prepare a document that would be super helpful for the parties to work together and build something together in the future. And to me, that's the definition or the purpose of transactional law to serve the economics, to ser serve the deal makers. And uh, most of the time, a lot of times, law follows the economics rather than vice versa. So that would be my short answer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm curious if this book that you're referring to, Law and Economics, was a publication of the University of Chicago because this school of thought, Law and Economics, is very big there. It probably was, and it had a lot of fascinating uh, articles in it, and all of them were talking about similar things 
And that's how I realized that this is exactly what I want to do because I could connect to the idea of helping entrepreneurs to do the great things that are the best mm -hmm. to do. So as, as you mentioned, the law follows the economics and not the other way yeah. around. So essentially what you're telling us is contracts are the foundation of that economic relationship. Contracts bind the parties. Yeah. You mentioned that they allocate the risks. And so you as an attorney, we as attorneys, we're using yeah. words and clauses in law to basically cement a relationship and make sure that the parties uh, play fair for the years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that's why it's key, not just understanding the uh, legal theories and concepts, which we do, we go to law school, we pass the bar, then we you know continue our uh, legal education by learning about different concepts such as fiduciary duties, right? Mm -hmm. Freedom of contract and reps and warranties and damnification, all, all the good stuff that helps to address these issues. Uh, but as long as you uh, understand the actual needs of the client and both parties, not just your client, right? It should be easier to bridge the gap that inevitably exists between the parties to bring them together. Such as, you know, a simple example, a startup and a, and a venture capital fund, right? Mm -hmm. The startup needs capital. It doesn't have capital. The fund needs good projects to invest in and has a lot of capital to do that for. But at the same time, the startup knows everything about itself, the founders, but the capital, the venture capital firm doesn't know much. So you have to address that by disclosures, by, you know, addressing that asymmetry, which in this case would be the information asymmetry. And this is just the one example how you can use all these tools, the contracts, disclosures to bring parties together closer to the deal and then hopefully, you know, close the deal itself, which is probably the most important thing. You enjoy negotiating. Yes. What are some tips that you would share with our audience today on um, negotiations, specifically contract negotiations? And this is for lawyers and non-lawyers alike. Yeah, that's a good question because uh, I like to be very methodical in my approach to any legal project, right? It has to be scientific because we're attorneys. We have to be accurate, mm -hmm. right? We have to have a process to achieve that accuracy. So before negotiating, there are a lot of things you need to do before even you get to negotiating a deal, right? You need to uh, talk to the client, understand where the client is. Again, let's talk about a startup, right? It's a startup. They come to you. They want to raise. They want to raise funding, or the other, or vice versa. Venture capital fund wants to invest in a startup. You need to understand where the startup is in terms of its life cycle, right? Seed, pre-seed, pre-revenue. They have a product. They don't have a product. Do they have a lead investor or not? Is this their first time raising fund? Is the founder has a has they uh, have they done this in the in the past or not? So all these things are super important. So essentially, asking questions first, understanding where they are, would be uh, the first step for me. And then after that, I would definitely uh, try to understand the legal concepts surrounding the circumstances. Right. So that's the legal research part of the. Uh, the the project and once you're done with the legal research you can probably move on to trying to tie the legal and the facts to these economic you know concepts we, we talked about and once you understand all of this then probably this is the time when you can feel ready to go and start negotiating with the other party and the most important tip is just be nice be yourself you know know what you're doing uh know who, you, who you're representing of course and understand that in transactions uh it's not a war, it's a collaboration, it's a collaborative effort. And as long as you close the deal, as long as the parties are happy, and this might take a long time, some creativity, some leadership, some communication skills, right? Sometimes you spend two hours on, on, on the phone with both parties trying to 
explain to them why certain things need to be done in a certain way. And if you succeed uh, by being nice and 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 creative and uh, communicating right, uh, I think those would be the main points uh, for in a negotiation. These are all fantastic comments, very spot on. And the way I like to visualize negotiations, Hike, and I like to know your thoughts on this as well, is take a very simple example, right? You, yeah. There are two clients, your client and the other person's client. Your client has an attorney in the form yeah. of you, and their client has an attorney in the form of their attorney. Yeah. And there are essentially these multitude of relationships going on. You negotiate with your client, yeah. your client negotiates with the other party, True. you negotiate with that other counsel, the other attorney, and they negotiate yeah. with their client. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, once the high-level business deal is negotiated, once that term sheet is signed, it really comes down to us lawyers negotiating with one another, right? Yeah. And it's important, and, and you also mentioned this, you know, being being nice, being assertive as well, understanding your interests yeah. and what's important for you, but also trying to build that relationship, that trust, that rapport with the other party. Because yeah. at the end of the day, if you don't understand one another, that deal is not going to happen, at least going to happen with a lot of friction. And where I'm leading to with this question, or these comments rather, is have you noticed when you start negotiating a transaction with an attorney, you can tell right off the bat whether that attorney is a true transactional lawyer or they're in fact a litigation attorney, but they're stepping in for that transaction in a specific case. <laughs> be, be, because with a, yeah. with a litigation attorney, it's always the yeah. objections, objecting yeah. to your suggestions, whether they're reasonable or not. Have you, have you felt this? Yeah, this is a really good question because the worst thing is when a family attorney is trying to negotiate a you know transaction with you or a litigator for that matter. And uh, I would say that most of the time you can easily understand if if the person uh, on the other side isn't transactional attorney or litigator. And you know now we have you know public domain. We can look at their LinkedIn, their websites, and see their you know experience before we're talking to them. But yeah, I, I do agree that it's generally easier to work with a transactional attorney similar to it would be much easier to work with a litigator than with me in a litigation mm -hmm. right because they know the rules they know how this works they have right expectations for the for the deal itself so i do agree that uh, working with transactional attorneys true transactional attorneys is way easier in terms of time frames and finding a solution versus with a litigator or a you know a family law attorney or someone else. And all these are great areas of you know law and, and, and I respect and love all of them. It's just, you need to have the right attorney as a client. You know, they need to be licensed. They need to be doing the things that you want them to help you with. They need to understand the deal itself. And if they don't, then everyone's gonna be in trouble. 100%. Um, You've advocated for a very methodical approach to transactions. You mentioned that it's a, there's a science that goes behind it, asking the questions, gathering the facts, applying yeah. the law to the facts, and yeah. coming to the uh, transaction. A lot of attorneys also mentioned that law or transactional law is more art than science. You have these bespoke situations. You have to trust your gut, that yeah. feel. You have to have empathy for the other side, have yeah. to be able to build that trust in relationship. Now, is according to your experience, right, over 10 years, is transactional law science, art, or is yeah. it both? No, this is an excellent question because I do believe there is a huge scientific component, methodical component to practice in law, especially transactional law. But it's not rocket science, right? It's, it's pretty simple. It's pretty rudimentary, very basic steps, as I said, understanding the facts, understanding the law, 
understanding the economics and then trying to, you know, build something around that. And also just trying to make things easier for the client by, you know, preparing term sheets, summaries. Term sheets are summaries of, of the contract itself. And this can help with the negotiation too, right? First, as you said, you draft uh, the summary of the of the deal. And first, you make sure that you and your client are on the same page. And mm -hmm. once you are, after making some changes, then you send it to the other party. You want to make sure that the parties are on the same page about the contract. Of course, there's going to be some back and forth, which is normal. But once you have the term sheet, then you can go ahead and, and draft the actual you know, agreements. And this is the more of the scientific methodical part of, of transactions. But again, those are all simple things. Like we have our checklists. We always review them before we uh, start a transaction to make sure we remind ourselves of the main steps to take in, in any transaction. You have due diligence, your own due diligence of your client to make sure everything is in place, data rooms and all these things. But then this is the scientific part, which is super important. But also, as you said, there is the art, right, of, of practicing law. And this comes down to things like, you know, simple things like, you know, integrity, passion for what you do, leadership, communication, and creativity. Because uh, you can be very accurate in your legal analysis by following the scientific part of the practice of law. But you may not be able to close a deal. To close the deal, you have to do all the additional things. And that's the art of, of uh, transactional law. And um, closing the deal, again, is not as scientific as people would think. Because, again, it takes a lot of time building the relationship, as you said. But also uh, spending the time with the parties and trying to be very creative in certain situations where you have to. Uh, step in and see a thing or two that can help people to come together. There's a lot that goes into the know-how and the expertise of the attorney managing that deal. Now, you mentioned closings, Hike, and you can do all the homework you need. You can yeah. do all the legwork, make sure the contract is perfect. But oftentimes, there's that 11th hour change yeah. where you're about to sign the deal, but something new comes up. Yeah. How do you handle it? And based on my experience, it's only the most experienced attorneys that are able to understand what the compromise is that is necessary to be made to push that deal past the finish line. The attorneys with less experience would freak out in such situations. It's the attorney that has that steady foot, that steady hand that is able to say, you know what, not ideal, but this is fine. It's that, that art that we're talking about that you say, you know what, let's, let's do this. Let's change that one word. Let's add that one comma and let's, and let's move forward. And this, you know, I, I was, Going with this question in order to lay the groundwork for my next question, transactional law being a science or an art, which leads us to understand how much of transactional law can be automated, or in other words, will AI replace lawyers? Because a framework to think about this, if it was all science, if it was all math, yeah. then sure, yeah. probably AI will replace yeah. lawyers. But if there's that human element out, out there that cannot be replaced, then AI will not replace lawyers. What's your feeling thoughts about this? Yeah, another excellent question. Uh, I'm not an AI expert, so it's hard for me to say where this would go. But looking back, looking at the history, right? In the past 20 years, 30 years, we can see how the practice of law has changed. It changed a lot right? Just think about the simple tools that we're using now. We're taking them for granted that people didn't have like 10, 15, 20 years ago. So all these, all these new tools, we really take them for granted. 
but they really help us. They make us more efficient. Just the fact that we can just you know talk to a client, have a conference call over over Zoom or or、uh, Teams, and all these things have changed the practice of law quite a bit in our lives too. And and a lot of these tools are not even specific to law. They're not legal tech, you know, products. They're more like general use products that we try to you know use for our legal practice. And we're doing a fairly good job in, you know, making it more streamlined and efficient the way we do、uh, practice law now than、uh, compared to thirty years ago. So I would think that this trend would change,、uh, would continue, and it would accelerate to some degree because now we're focusing on more legal solutions for legal industry specifically versus trying to utilize. Uh, tools for general use, and I think that's going to be huge. And I think in the next five to ten years, we're going to see a lot of the legal tech not necessarily、um, removing or、uh, replacing lawyers from the spectrum, but supporting and improving their work product. Right? Even now,、uh, if there is a legal tech, a new legal tech product, I always try to use to look into it, and if it's going to help me. If there is a one percent chance, it's going to help、mm-hmm. me to minimize the mistakes or errors I could have made in a transaction. I'm going, to, I'm going to use it, right? And that's the accuracy. Again, it helps me with the scientific part of the transaction to be accurate about not just the way I think, but the documents themselves, the conclusions I, I, I get to. So, if I can use these tools that will give me, they, not, they won't just help me with e-filings, right?、Mm-hmm. Which is again huge. You can file、uh, electronically, but they will also help me. With tips, what questions to ask, what questions to think about—that's probably analysis itself, right?、Uh, or even、uh, help me with the solutions. I type in the simple facts of a transaction we're trying to achieve, and then it helps me with some recommendations.、Uh, and then drafting the documents themselves. Let's say I will continue. Let's say drafting the term sheets, the summaries of the contracts. I draft the contract. And、uh, the term sheet,、mm-hmm. and then it helps me to 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 prepare the actual document much faster, you know, in a streamlined way. Or maybe there is a term sheet, there is an agreement. It helps me to understand how these two compare, and how the terms in a term sheet are reflected in the actual agreement. So those are just simple examples. There are things will improve the way we practice law, will help us become better attorneys. And to provide a better service to our clients. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one thing I'm noticing is this drive towards, generally in industries, there's this drive towards data-driven decisions, and it's entering、yeah. law as well.、Yeah. Where back in the day, five years ago, ten years ago,、yeah. if you wanted to know what's market or what's customary,、yeah. you would call an attorney who does such things, or you would、yeah. look into Westlaw, Practical Law, or LexisNexis to get that insight.、Yeah. But today, that data-driven Mechanism is within the software that we use.、Yeah. Is this clause customary? How many of the attorneys have actually opted for this clause or a variation of that? So, just one example of how law is, in,、uh, excuse、yeah. me, how technology is indeed、uh, making us better attorneys. Now, for a moment, let's let our imaginations run wild. Yeah, five years from now. Yeah, what are corporate lawyers? What is corporate legal going to look like? Oh man. Interesting. I should probably think about these issues a little more often because you know those are real issues. And、um, yeah, I think we're gonna just have more of the tools that we just mentioned、mm-hmm. to help us with the process itself, the science science of it, right? 
as I mentioned, you start with the research, with asking the questions, with uh, understanding the economics, the, the basic terms. So essentially, perhaps you gather the information, you give it to a you know uh, a tech a, a tool, and then it helps you with all the checklists and term sheets and the rest of the recommendations that will help you to you know uh, accelerate the process of negotiating mm-hmm. of negotiating the deal. But to be honest, again, uh, I have aspirations to become better at you know understanding AI and legal tech. But for now, my understanding is pretty basic and rudimentary. And I, I get excited when I see a new tool and, and I get excited to use it to, to see how it improves me as an attorney and improves my work product for my clients. But um, it'd be hard for me to make bold you know, statements about what it will look like in and five years from now. Pr- predictions are a very thankless task. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, as, as a proper attorney, you have to hedge your bets and, and make sure that you don't... Yeah. Um, over predict items. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely, you know, the core is there. Um, uh, as you're saying, technology is fundamentally shifting the way that corporate legal is going to be handled. Um, it's going to change in a lot of aspects. The way we, you also mentioned, create documents, negotiate documents, access documents, yeah. analyze documents. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's a very exciting future out there. It is. And, uh, I'm embracing it. I'm trying to learn as much of it as possible. I'm very excited about Corpora because Corpora has been a tool that uh, I've I've been needing for a long time now. And that's our first conversation about Corpora. I was like, oh man, this is something I could use any any given day. And I think it's not just me. It's it's a lot of other attorneys. And uh, I think that also it's it's not just the tools themselves because the tools are great and Corpora is great and all the rest of the tools uh, you know are probably useful. It's also just having this paradigm shift and the actual uh, practice of law in terms of the institutions that lead the practice of law, right? It's the, it's the adoption of, of the technology. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how the tech is going to you know, disrupt the, the legal industry, mm-hmm. the legal practice law, not just us as individuals, but the business of practicing law. Because you know, a lot of the big firms, big law, uh, you know, uh, with traditional uh, structures, I think they have to change quite a bit uh, as the legal tech uh, becomes more prevalent and more widely used in the practice of law. And I think the firms that will make that shift early on will be the big winners. And I think that's why I I like Ramon. One of the reasons why I like Ramon because they're very forward-looking. They're very innovative in in a lot of different ways, not just in tech, but in their business model and the way they help attorneys to collaborate. So I believe innovation, not just tech, but innovation in, in, in legal uh, in legal field industry generally is going to be uh, very interesting to follow in the next three to five years. Hike, thank you very much for this conversation, uh, for, for joining us today. My guest is Hike Mamajanian, who's corporate venture capital and mergers and acquisitions partner at Ramon Law, Los Angeles office. Hike, thank you. Thank you.